0: From talkradio.nyc, welcome to At Home. I'm David Theergartner, interior designer and owner of David Theergartner Interiors, right here in hot and balmy Manhattan. On tonight's show, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, we are fortunate enough to have Jonathan Barron from Barron Design, Inc. One of the foremost experts and leading commercial and residential interior design firms for lobbies, hallways and common areas throughout New York City. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Hey, take
1: me out to the ball game take me out with the crowd me
2: Some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back.
3: Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game.
0: Football stadiums, basketball arenas are all modern day meccas. Century-old Fenway Park and Chicago's Wrigley Field have been gathering places for the multitudes for over a hundred years. Former Red Sox pitcher Bill Lee referred to Boston's Fenway Park as a shrine. My dad grew up a few blocks away from Wrigley Field. The Cubs, back in the day, were known for playing day games. So family lore has it that my father would gather with his boyfoot boyhood friends behind the outfield wall to catch those high-flying foul balls. There's a famous black-and-white photo from the 30s of kids hanging out in the tall trees at Wrigley Field watching the game. It always makes me think of my dad. And of course, we have Yankee Stadium, the pride of New York, a limestone monument to baseball, to civic worship and gathering. The new Yankee Stadium is made from 11,000 pieces of Indiana limestone. The letters of Yankee Stadium are proudly and deeply chiseled into the stone and illuminated with gold leaf above the main gate into this modern-day cathedral. Once inside this magnificent stadium, the Great Hall crosses through gates four and six. The large modern-day transcript is seven stories high and features more than 20 large banners hanging from on high of past and present Yankee icons. Today's modern stadiums are just the best and easiest examples of monuments to our civic pride. But for over thousands of years, every city in the Western world poured all of their wealth natural resources, artistic vision, civic pride, and faith in God into building cathedrals and churches and creating the cultural center of the town, the visual symbol of prosperity and pride, the monument to what the city and the people who inhabit it are capable of. But cathedrals and stadiums aren't the only example of gathering places and community pride. In Boston, the common, has been a gathering place for over 350 years. It's the oldest city park in the United States. George Washington and John Adams celebrated our nation's independence there. During World War II, Victory Gardens sprouted out all throughout the Common. Boston Common continues to be a stage for free speech and public assembly. During the 20th century, anti-Vietnam War and civil rights rallies were held there, including one led by Martin Luther King Jr. And only, if only, right in Boston Commons, Judy Garland gave her biggest free concert ever with over 100,000 people in attendance. In 2016, it was the staging ground for the Women's March, and every December, the Jingle Bell Charity Run starts right there in the cultural center of Boston. In our new age of mass communication and state-of-the-art technology, our public spaces are more important than ever before. With our ears plugged and our faces buried deep in our phones, meeting places, marketplaces, and connection places are at the forefront— of design thinking, architectural renewal, and urban planning. The art of creating great spaces, great public spaces, as if they are the living rooms of our city. The ability to combine city architecture with new ideas of common gathering spaces creates the most beautiful urban environments in which to live. Urban spaces, Urban places have the potential to help express a life of richness and new tradition and act as a setting for the beautiful urban life to grow. In New York, believe it or not, Central Park receives 30 million visitors a year. But our new park, the outstanding, from-the-ground-up, community-led Highline Park, estimated that approximately 300 people would visit it in its first year. All of that planning and forethought was off just a bit. That number turned out to be 1.3 million people. And as the High Line expanded in 2011 and 2014, those visitor numbers continued to climb. In 2015, get this, 7.6 million people visited the High Line, nearly six times the number of visitors in the first year. The Highline Park is a great example of urban design, landscape architecture, and civil engineering. The process of urban design is designing and shaping the physical features of the city, of a town, and villages. It's in contrast to architecture, which only focuses on the design of individual buildings, Urban design deals with the larger scale of groups of buildings, streets and public spaces, common areas, whole neighborhoods and districts, and even, in some cases, entire cities, with the goal, the one goal, of making urban areas functional, attractive, and sustainable for everyone. Urban design's primary focus is making a connection between the people and places movement and urban form, nature and built fabric, all at the same time drawing together the many strands of placemaking, environmental stewardship, social equality, and economic viability into the creation of places of distinct beauty and community identity. And one of the most important economic aspects of the larger impact of urban design is that it draws numerous professions together deploying the resources and skills needed to bring the vision to life. As New Yorkers, we are incredibly fortunate to have so many public spaces around us. From our magnificent past, we have public spaces such as the Great Hall, the majestic main entry of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The Met was founded in 1870 by a group of American citizens, businessmen, and financiers, as well as leading artists and thinkers of the day. They wanted to create a museum to bring art and art education to the American people. But in turn, almost 150 years later, they created one of the most significant public spaces in the country, if not the world. The New York Public Library on 42nd Street, that famous reading room, is a majestic 78 feet wide by 297 feet long with a 52 foot high ceiling. The room is lined with thousands of reference books on open shelves, lit by massive windows and grand chandeliers, and furnished with solid oak tables, classic sturdy chairs, and brass lamps. But the library has always been more than the books and its scholarship. During the Great Depression, out-of-work New Yorkers gathered there to use the library to improve their lot in life and search for new jobs. Today, the libraries are better equipped than ever to serve as vital research and community centers for future generations. And we can't speak of magnificent public spaces in New York City without mentioning Grand Central Station. New York's train stations are all about travel, but Grand Central doesn't just help you reach your destination, it is your destination. Grand Central is a unique urban space majestic yet approachable, decorative yet functional. For over a century, New Yorkers have used Grand Central as their town commons, a beloved gathering places for shared experience and important events. Oh, and on the other places that matter, matter urban living right on the street the very modest basketball courts at West 4th Street in Greenwich Greenwich Village. Known as the cages, the West 4th basketball courts draw people and athletes from around the world. We have wonderful community places like the waterfall at Small Green Acres Park on East 51st Street. And more recently, we've added an ingenious, interactive, game-filled public space for children and family at Teardrop Park, in Lower Manhattan near the Old World Trade Center. To meet the demands of urban living and city dwelling, urban design draws numerous professions together – landscape architect, cultural studies, civil engineering, and municipal planners together, – together creating a vision for the future, for the environment, and for the health and well-being of their citizens. And just before we speak to Jonathan Barron about his work in common areas and apartment building lobbies, places where people gather and meet each other, I want to tell you this, that I spent a wonderful weekend on Cape Cod with dear old friends. Provincetown is a tremendous example of a place where the human spirit is freed, where people want to be together to share the beach and the sunset walking up and down Commerce Street, saying hi to friends, and going out to dinner. And like many cities, the most fun, the most shared happiness was everybody singing around the piano at Tin Pan Alley, a famous piano bar. It seemed like the happiest place on earth, a place where singing together is more fun than singing alone in the shower at home. As I sat and watched, listened to all kinds of voices singing their hearts out, I couldn't help but think that... If urban design is about people gathering, fellowship, common experiences, shared living, camaraderie, and pure joyfulness in our shared places and surroundings, then you can't get much better than a group sing-along at a piano bar. My guest this week, Jonathan Barron, and I will discuss interior design of common spaces throughout New York. We are going to talk about design process and the best way to deal with an an apartment building subcommittee, group approvals, and interactive design. I personally want Jonathan to give me his insights on product durability, and I'm anxious to exchange design ideas and learn all about what's in his secret design toolbox. This is At Home. I'm David Thergartner, and we'll the be piano, back in two I love minutes.
2: The piano. I love to hear somebody play. Upon a piano, a grand piano. It's
3: Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc.
2: Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show.
0: Jonathan, welcome to At Home. Hey,
4: David. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
0: I'm so happy that you're here with us. You know, I start each and every interview with the same question. And that question is, what is your meaning of beauty? And more specifically, what is beautiful in your own home? Ah, let's see. What is my meaning of beauty? Beauty.
4: Uh, It's a very personal, my meaning of beauty. Well, actually, I'll never forget when I was a student at Pratt Institute in in a master's program in industrial design, and we worked to create a project strictly from these particular shapes and forms. It was the essence of all of, of Pratt Institute's design formula that was brought over from the Bauhaus, so we were only allowed to use rectilinear shapes, cardboard shapes, and when 30 students put together those cardboard shapes to create that one single object. Sure enough, one of them was the most beautiful. So beauty will arise. It is something very personal, and there is a collective consciousness that does occur from looking at beauty. And all mankind needs beauty. Absolutely. It's, it's an expression of ourselves.
0: And that's why we talk about it here. It's important to me. I have looked for it my whole life. And we're going to expand and discuss it as long as we possibly can. Oh, of course. We're going to discuss as much as we like about it. So tell us what 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 is inside your home that you just love and you think is so beautiful is there something specific that you just gravitate well towards?
4: let me tell you and our listeners all about my home in okay. new york city i live in a 42 foot by 12 foot wide rectilinear box rectilinear with 11 box. foot ceilings just like the bathhouse mm-hmm. and and it and, and it's on seventh avenue and 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 in that rectilinear box there's also a little connected five by seven bathroom And what I did was when I got this apartment is I brought the floors down to the original concrete and painted the walls pure white. And that pure white rectilinear box is beautiful to me where I'm able to create both interior design and art
0: and create my life. Fantastic. We just talked a couple of weeks ago to a guest about color, and I have a White House, too. A White House, which is something we're going to talk about later, but a White House, too, for that reason, that I needed something calming and a place to relax my mind. Instead of being at the office or working constantly with other projects and other materials and colors around me. And when I got home, I wanted it to be something else. So that's interesting. We have other things in common Mm -hmm. besides that in our age and the decades of work uh, in the interior design trade. You're about 30 years, did you say? I'm Mm -hmm. I'm. My company is twenty six years old at this point. how How did you get started? Not necessarily as a professional, but in your life, how did you know that you had a direction towards uh, design, and more specifically, interior design?
4: I'll be very succinct about this. I'm very clear on it. What happened was when I was born, it was 1959, and my mother lived in the Bronx with her mother. And she was pregnant. It was March 15th, 1959. It was a snowy morning. And they traveled to the obstetrician in Manhattan. And they came down Fifth Avenue. And in 1959, the Guggenheim Museum was under construction. And also, the Cadillac, the famous Cadillac with the fins, which was just introduced. And my mother wore big Dior sunglasses, big Dior prescription glasses. And their first my parents' first apartment was was in the Queens, and it had windows all around. And she hired an interior decorator and designer who I, I'm still friends with this woman today. And I can tell you every object in that apartment as if it was just yesterday. Wow. So I was a boy that when I grew up, I was not really interested in football and baseball, but I could tell you everything about Christian Dior, Pierre Cardin, Halston. I could tell you how Pierre Cardin got started, Ralph Lauren got started. I'm all about design
0: and art. And that was just the way I saw the world. Well, I love that because I'm always interested in how creative people become aware of themselves. And you answered that question just perfectly, right? I mean, it was a part of who you were from your very beginning. I think that would be true for me as well. I've tried to describe it as uh, my family furniture store or certain aspects of my life that that I gravitated towards. But really, it's Always fascinating that creative people, from the very beginning, have a sense of what they're interested in and how they want to live their life.
4: I was acknowledged by my parents for the way I matched my pants to my shirt. This was very, very important to them. My father was in the fashion industry, so it was concern and I remember like in the, the second grade, I was the first to wear um, flared pants. And this was in New Orleans, Louisiana, where I grew up. And again, New Orleans plays a big role for me as well. It's such a rich city of, of architectural character and style and fashion, food and music. And that was just a hothouse for me to grow and be
0: connected to beauty and art. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, New Orleans would be exactly that. So were there certain things that led you more towards interior design other than the objects in the room but like were you pushing furniture around or for me i got known as the kid who you know would get ready for the neighbor's party or uh who did the christmas arrangements across the street that kind of a thing was there anything like that oh yeah 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 definitely much much more so um my mother in that
4: apartment in queens she had this bar and she bought the this mastic material and pebbles to put on the front of the bar to decorate the front of the bar and I yep. helped her with that and we're talking about I was like 3 or 4 years old yep. and and then later in life back in New Orleans you know the first thing a first grader does for their in first grade as an art project is you make a Mardi Gras float and that's made from a shoebox so you turn the shoebox upside down and you use the lid for the back of the float and then you decorate it with either cotton balls or or Mardi Gras beads
0: are all glued to it. So it was just the beginning of all of it. That is, that is the best early design story I've ever heard. That's fantastic. Do you do you still have it, or do you? Does your mom no, no, have a picture no, of it? Oh no, no! Oh my no, god, no. I would love to see that. Uh, I would love to see that today. So what is what about interior design that today fascinates you?
4: Today, what fascinates me about still interior today, design? Thirty years. later. Thirty, 30 years later. Well. Living in New York City, we get to see skyscrapers being built in overnight. Like in a year's time, they build skyscrapers. So out of my apartment window, I watched Hudson Yards and I watched six towers just grow up out of the ground. I'd wake up in the morning and I said, were those there yesterday? And so I'm constantly looking at buildings and the shape of new buildings that are going up and how they can figure out... A different way to make that building look different than the next building, but of course, there's also the the architecture, the the old architecture of New York. Um, I visited a building today where I'm being called upon for my services, and this building was built in World War just after World War II. So we're out of the Art Deco period and we're in the Modern period, and it had drawn the architect of that. That uh, for that building drew upon classicism, but over the years, someone decided to paint the beautiful plaster frieze around the lobby oh. in gold, <laughs> <laughs> and and the moldings in teal blue. Oh my god! And then. Uh, This building needs new mailboxes. And so I called what this is called a walkthrough. So there's an initial walkthrough for my clients where I walk through the building with the, the trades and contractors that are necessary to transform the building. That's the services I provide to remodel and redecorate existing apartment building lobbies throughout New York City. I'm possibly one of New York City's three leading brands that does this. And my approach is always to respect the inherent character and style and theme my job is to to complete the story and so the mailbox Ma- manu- the mailbox dealer, the, the building needs new mailboxes. There's 82 mailboxes in the building. And, and he wanted this idea to put them in the lobby. And I had to share with him that it was my responsibility to protect the building's lobby and to protect my clients that those big mailboxes that are required by the United States Postal Service today, they're oversized. They're 17 inches deep and 15 inches wide and 4 inches high. They're bigger than they have been in the past and they're required by United States Postal Code, he wanted to put them in the lobby and said, no, that's not happening. We're going to figure out another way to do this, to discreetly place the buildings, pardon building, uh, mailboxes in the proper place.
0: So you're still fascinated by the jigsaw puzzle of it all. Oh, yeah. The, sort of the, the how to make the moving parts fit together and work to to allow the best possible focus and vision when you walk into the into the building, correct? Oh, yes. I mean, but that is your main motivation um, on how you design and how you go forward in setting up a project.
4: Yes, and it's the first thing I want my clients to understand is the economics, I call it. So that's why we have the walkthrough, because before we start on anything, I'm going to be able to tell them my design solution and the cost of this design solution in an itemized menu of what needs to be done. So it's the economics and the functionality of the building. So in this case, there's the mailboxes. That's a, a vital, important function for the couple of hundred people that live in this building. And then I share with them how I'm going to help bring back the inherent beauty and character of their building. It exists there. It just needs to be brought out. And that's my
0: job. So those are the, the, the priorities, functionality, and the cost. I want to get deep into that when we come back in the next segment. I'm still a little interested in sort of your thoughts of design and stuff. For instance, I have a silly question here about, like, um, when you go into a restaurant for dinner or you go to, like, a wedding in a hotel uh, ballroom or something, are you, can you even enjoy it or are you constantly working through what you think should have should be changed or or that you appreciate i mean really when you go into a public space we have
4: we're so in common (laughs) david let me i was at this my my tanning salon
0: and i just had a breakdown over there they painted the walls yellow and so that made you crazy it's so funny (laughs) now listen just before we go what about like for me i always wanted to do the oval office at the white house right? Is there any kind of fas- uh, you know, f- fantasy that you've ever had? Because I always wanted not just to be able to be in the room and, you know, know that room well, like somebody who designed it. But um, what about you? Did you ever have like, was there any sort of special place that you've ever wanted to design that you haven't been able to?
4: David, I'm touched by that question. Because David, I had the I, this was it, like to design apartment building lobbies in New York. Well, David, that was it for me.
0: Really? Yeah. That's so cool. I and got, you're doing it. I got my dream. Wow, well, right? I'm jealous of you. We're talking to Jonathan Barron from Barron Design Inc. You can follow Jonathan on Instagram at Barron underscore on underscore design. Always have trouble with the underscore. <laughs> and on Twitter at Jonathan Barron. So much easier than that. This is at home and we'll be back in 2 minutes. Thank you. I, I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want
2: to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it
3: happens.
4: You're listening to the Talking
2: Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com.
1: 24 hours a day.
0: And we're back jonathan let 's talk a little bit more specifically about your projects and your work okay so i 'm interested I, I want to talk about how you see uh, a large space or uh, you know a lobby of a building and hallways and stuff but i 'm really interested in how you deal with a subcommittee um, and 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 multiple peoples having opinion on what you 're trying to present and what you 're trying to design for them. Can you just talk a little bit about? Um, how you make that work successfully. And I think it's interesting for even people who aren't in the design business, just that that presentation in front of a group of people that will not all agree with you. Okay, so talk okay, through yeah. it a little bit. So
4: many things come to mind. Yeah. So let me share with your listeners. First of all, I'm comfortable with myself. I'm clear who I am in the world and what it is I'm up to in the world. And I'm clear with my own personal integrity. And my credentials are impeccable. I'm a member of the American Society of Interior Designers. I have a bachelor's degree in interior design. I've done master's work at Pratt Institute in design. I'm a member of the International Association of Interior Designers. I'm a New York State licensed interior designer. I have over 20, 30 years experience in interior design. I've done over 100 buildings. And I've worked with hundreds of people. And I'm really clear who I am in the world and who I am for that community and they are a community to me and i provide them more than just interior design and a pretty color but i'm providing them leadership in a process so first of all i establish who i am and my credentials and that i'm there for them to support them in their goals needs and objectives and that i'm committed to impeccable integrity and that means honoring their budget and what I can do for the budget I help them create because most of the time they don't know how much it's going to cost and I'm clear on what is appropriate materials and appropriate investment for them whether it is solution dyed looped nylon carpet and not carpet tiles for their hallways or if it's porcelain tiles for their, ha- their lobby and if it's, if it's vinyl Class A grade vinyl wall covering for their walls. If it's uh, Sherwin-Williams paint that is a, a, approved by the government that, and that proper paint for their for their doors and, and metal. I'm really clear. Or LED lighting that's energy efficient. So you see how I'm speaking generically? So with those generic products, uh, I'm able to provide them aesthetically what will work for their particular building. So I can continue to tell their story. What I'm known for is the rehab, the uh, the remodeling of existing apartment buildings in New York City, as opposed to new construction. I've done new construction, and in new construction, I embrace the inherent architectural style that the architect intended and i continue that story within the economics for that real estate developer so that's what i do it's about what of the service that i'm going to provide them not me coming in oh i love this color pink today and we just got to have to use this it's the hottest
0: color it's not about that it's about them one of the purposes of this show is to better design what better define what design professionals do. And you brought up several things. One, leadership, right? You're more than just a designer because you're guiding the process through completion. And I think that's a big part of being a successful interior designer or designer in general. You also brought up integrity. I don't think you can be successful, especially in in interior design, without maintaining strict guidelines on budget budget review, and how we're going to capitalize the budget in the best possible way. So I agree with you on all of those things. And I think a lot of times my professor had always has the student in my background who is always like more excited to participate in color theory and, you know, finding the best pattern rug than all of the other things that go apart of what it really is like to run a successful design business here or anywhere else. So thank you for really, I think, giving us some takeaways on how that process works for you and, and basically works for me in the same way which I was interested in, how many parallel tracks will we actually have? Mm -hmm. And I think that we have an absolute lot in common. I would like to discuss the importance of shared space before we get into lobbies and stuff like that. So what are some of the other shared spaces in a building that you design? Uh, Well, there's there's the hallways. I mean, it's a shared space. So
4: hallways. So, you know, hallways are a space that you're moving through, just as it's a lobby. You're moving through the space. You're not reclining in the space. So you have to think about that, that people are moving through it, and there are certain problems to be solved, which is where to go. So there's wayfinding systems, which is jargon for signs of the building. And the sign, a sign in a building can encapsulate the essence of the whole entire character of the building. And that is called branding, another jargon word. So signage and then of course lighting. So hallways don't necessarily need to be overlit like a kitchen or a library. You're just moving through the space. So they can be lit appropriately for apartment buildings for for people. And then there's the demographics of the building. So you have demographics that can include young people, teenagers or or older, senior, elderly people that have limited eyesight. Uh, abilities and younger people who have destructive abilities right and and, and so all of that is taken to a, in account so when i'm designing spaces i'm taking to into account the way they function so those are a couple of things i'm thinking about and
0: you have to consider moving days right baby mm. carriages uh Bags mm-hmm. of groceries and suitcases that knock up against walls or do all of that kind of damage. So that is a part of the whole in design process for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. Other spaces, gosh, other spaces. So in gyms new, or yeah, community there, there's centers.
4: gyms. Gyms are they're being redecorated, being brought up. But it's really right now. It's a lot about mailbox rooms. Like mailbox rooms, rooms are the things. real mailbox areas, mailbox rooms. Why? Because in this era. We've changed the way we purchase. Historically, we went to shopping malls, and then before that, we shopped from Sears and Roebuck catalogs, and things were shipped to us. Even whole houses were shipped from Sears and Roebuck's right? catalogs, and then people started going to shopping malls, but now, we all know what it is. People are shopping online. So now, small packages are being delivered, large packages are being delivered, and there has to they have to be protected. So
0: it's all about mailbox
4: rooms in 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 apartment buildings today
0: fascinating and that goes to interactive design in other words we have an action with the design that's happening there's probably not a better example than that than mailboxes how we use them where they're located how the building employees or staff deals with those rooms as well correct yes it's less about reclining or
4: hanging out in lobbies that's changed and And because, well, we just don't want to generally walk into a building and there's a group of teenagers or a group of. People having a community hangout in the lobby anymore on their phones, drinking a Starbucks coffee. It deteriorates from the character of the building. We also get real estate brokers waiting for their customers to come, and they'll hang out in the lobby. So it's less about seating in the lobby. I'm using more hard surface, no backs, no arms in lobbies limited seating just enough for someone to perch and wait for an uber that's how the lobbies are functioning in the 1940s the 1950s you had lo- you had lobbies filled with luxurious upholstery lamps people would go down there and read but then people would do that because people lived more discreetly in those days so w- they would limit their time in the lobby we're more open today possibly because we're living inside of our, on the computer on the internet so we want to get
0: out So they go to the lobby, and we now hang out on our phones. It's so fascinating because if you're not from New York or if you're listening somewhere else this grand salon concept of our lobbies and stuff was very much an identifiable trait or feature of our the buildings an that amenity, we lived in an and an amenity almost right yeah yes. your friends would come and meet you you might go out to dinner whatever but your lobby represented who you are and you're sort of saying that's kind of changing into a very purposeful and more functional it has changed it ha- and, 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 because i'm the change maker you're the change maker <laughs> so in that question then because people aren't using lobbies that way, are they requesting it anywhere else? Roof gardens? Yes. um, A place to... Play cards, I'm trying to guess right off the top of my head, yep. what might be important to a building and the people that live there. Are, yep. Is that true? Yeah, roof gardens are popular, but that's, that's a little bit difficult in New York City. There's,
4: there's a whole engineering and structural issues and, and protect, to protect the public from jumping off the, off the building, but they are happening. Um, but some, and then just designating a room in a pre-existing building for the public or for has to have, a, has to have two means of egress, but in new construction they're making separate community rooms, maybe with a coffee maker, little tables, upholstered chairs. I'm doing a, a corporate loft building in Bushwick, New York, Bushwick, Brooklyn. Bushwick is a hip hop neighborhood of New York City, like once we used to have the village, in the 1930s it was the village, then in the 1970s and 80s it was the East Village, now it's Bushwick. It's a a collective of communities that have come together and a lot of artists are there. And I've been asked to design a, a, a corporate loft building there. What it is, it was an old industrial building converted to lofts for corporations, businesses, small businesses, to have their offices there. Well, they had very wide hallways. And I... I changed the name of the building, it was called Bohack Square, to B Square, and those wide hallways, a portion of it, I created them as community central areas, and I put in kitchenettes with a microwave, and a coffee maker, and a couple of vending machines, a counter, and some chairs, and some artwork, and some lighting, and so within the hallways, on each floor, it's a six story building, there's a community center. So people could come out of their offices, with their laptop, or with their phone, and do some work outside. So that's, do you have a picture of that, by chance? Uh, Is not, it done not yet, yet? Not done yet. We're just okay, finishing it I was going to
0: say, because we would put that on Instagram in an instant. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. We are going to run out of time so quickly here, as we always do. Just briefly, give me your idea of how you see a lobby, how you walk in, where you want the focus to be, how you want people to move through that lobby. Just give us the download on that That design uh, ah. sense of focus yep. it, the, the,
4: the, the building's inherent architectural character is what I want to bring out even if it's a 1970's building that's a box the inherent character I may refinish the walls, panel the walls tile the floors but the architecture is brought out and then something special it could be the doorman's desk but if there's no doorman it could be a focus on a piece of art
0: that The architecture, the inherent architecture is what's beautiful. This is fantastic. And I can't believe that we're already at the end of this uh, wonderful conversation that we're having together. I think we've only just started and we certainly seem like that, uh, that we could talk forever. So will you do me a favor and stick around with me for the last segment? We're going to take some questions from our listeners and see if the both of us can answer them Uh, together. Of course. I'm in. Great, terrific. This is at home. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Talking
2: Alternative Network.
3: Are you a conscious co creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
2: talkingalternative.com
0: Jonathan, we have a lot of questions, so why don't we just jump right into it and see how we fare, okay? So the first question is, I'm contemplating purchasing an apartment that I like very much and seems well-suited for me, but I find the lobby and the hallways of this building to be quite dismal and sad. I'm having trouble making a decision, hmm, I don't blame you, "um, about how how the lobbies in the hallways are affecting me and whether or not I should go ahead and make this purchase or not. Do you have any ideas uh, for them? or, or
4: uh, I'm going to be really bold here. I say go for it. Let me tell you what the action I would take. I would go for it because it's probably brought the, your particular apartment's value down so you're going to get in on a good buy. So next, once you do buy, then start to advocate within your community to transform that lobby and hallways. You can advocate for yourself to get on the board of directors. You're now part of a community. I bought in a building just like that, the front door of the building, bam, it shut, It almost snap your finger off. And the hallways were disgusting. It was a 1927 building, still sponsor-owned in the middle of Midtown. And you know what? We did, I, I advocated for it. Uh, and you know, I'm a heavy, so I'm heavy about this because of my business, but I advocated for it. We did a simple make, makeover, and then we did the lobby over because I knew that the lobby underneath this fake sheetrock ceiling was there was a beautiful plaster lobby, a domed lobby with plasterwork. And you know what? We doubled my apartment's value, doubled.
0: Just through the renovation of the so, lobby and the hallways. Yes, that's correct.
4: And, oh, well, there was a little bit more to it. There were a number of, of, of what's called rent-stabilized apartments yes. in the building that were swept up off the market by one investor. So that contributed to it. But we definitely increased the property value. So you're in on something. You're going to be buying into a fixer-upper. You're onto something there.
0: Well, I love this, and that's a wonderful answer, and I'm so glad that you answered first because I'm thinking, no way. Right, I'm thinking you're gonna walk through that lobby in that hallway four, five, six times a day. I know what it's like to be on a building board, and I know how long and how slow that engine actually runs. And so it could take a while for that that turnover. So maybe the right answer is, you know, is this a, a lifetime purchase? Is this a purchase that you see yourself in for four or five years? because I do think that you're right if you're going to be there for the duration, if you're going to be there for the change. But if you don't think you're going to stay around that long, then perhaps maybe you'd be better off in another apartment. That seems like a good compromise mm-hmm, between, mm-hmm, between mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. our two answers. But that was great. Yours was much more positive than mine, and I appreciate that. Here's one. Oh, I'm on the board of my building, and we've been discussing interior renovations for years and getting nowhere. How funny is that? The hamster will never stop spinning. Any advice how to get my building to move on their on their ideas absolutely, very easy. You must get down to the economics of it. So you bring
4: in a designer, a qualified designer, and that 's not an architect. An architect is to build buildings. You need a, a professional designer that 's technically skilled in commercial interiors and particularly public spaces uh, and get to the economics, they'll provide you a written proposal, a line item written proposal of the cost to paint, wall cover, change the light fixtures, put new carpet, and get down to the economics of it. Once the board of directors understands the economics, they are fiscally responsible for the building's. Value property values, and they have to form the direction it's going to go in. If that doesn't work, you could do you could start doing a petition around the building,
0: get it just do a straw poll, see how many people do want it. That's what they're doing in my building right now. Fantastic! So, there's a couple big takeaways from there. One, let's just talk about architect versus interior designer for a second, specifically in the designing or redesigning of lobbies and hallways and stuff like that, because I have. No, I have architects who have been involved with that, but I'm on your side of the fence. It's not always required if there's not big structural change happening. No.
4: I mean, even the best of architects come to me and they know that I have a particular expertise and finishes. It's not just, you know, the stereotype is that we have good taste and we're about, you know, pretty colors and pretty fabrics. Right. But actually a, a, a well-qualified, professional, well-trained, educated interior designer understands products and materials and functionality
0: that go into a building and go into a space, whether it even be a residential space. Well said. Couldn't say it enough, especially on this show. The other thing that I want to talk about is that that getting stuck that that buildings uh, subcommittees do is, I think, a big problem for a lot of reasons. But your idea is great start to work it from the financial end, the budget end. But is there any advice on how many people should be on that committee? Oh, how, yes. You know, I mean, can, can we take this question even further and sort of say, you know, there should only be two people or three people on this committee. If we want to get this work done, this is the best advice For moving it through the board. This is exactly how I handle it. If the board of directors as a group does not want to handle this together,
4: then form a subcommittee, and if you feel it's necessary, bring someone from the community that's not on the board to join that committee. A board member would be on that committee And a committee of two or three people for the initial preliminary design and planning and development of the project. Once we get to the place where we've chosen one design from that committee, bring it to the board, and have them approve that one design. And here's a biggie. Yeah. This one is, I believe in the community meeting where the designer represents that one color scheme and design to the entire community. I'm there to provide them the process that how we got to this design, why this is the design we've chosen and the schedule of the implementation of the design to explain the products and materials in this design. Everything answer all of their questions, except the financial aspect of the design. That's something
0: between the board of directors and the community and not for me to answer. This is a great question because I'm going to even go further again. So with my professor hat on, instead of, and I've seen it a lot just going through the building, there's like a a board of carpeting and paint colors and and what the mirrors are going to look like on that. But you're saying to... Actually explained the entire process, how you got there, how you made those decisions, why you're going forward with this scheme. And does that help eliminate some of the silly questions like I don't like blue or I don't like you know on the other side of it? Because you know, there's always someone who says, Oh, I'm not having black doors, you know, that's that's the devil coming through, or something like that. So because you've explained the process and how you've got to those decisions, you're more successful in those group community meetings, aren't you? Yes, that's correct. Well, well,
4: with the community at large, the larger community of 100, 1,000 people, it gives them an opportunity to hear it from the designer that their board of directors chose, and they buy in. They now feel a part of it that they weren't left out. Can you imagine one day you come home and your door was painted black, like you said? I don't use a lot of black doors, by the way, everybody. I prefer really deep, rich hues. Um, hue is the, is, is the real name of color. And I use usually rich hues, so dark browns and, and, and deep, deep, uh, deep colors. Because doors are going to be touched and handled, and they're going to be painted once in the next five
0: years. Right. Perfect. Well, good. That's great. So real quick, we have one more before we have to go. Um, My bedroom wall is behind a small laundry room, but I can hear the buzz and humming of the washer and dryer. Is there anything I can do? And what is my building's responsibility to that? Yeah. Well, well, public laundry
4: rooms uh, shouldn't have buzzing Uh, washers and dryers like a buzz like it was when you know it finished the dry load so that's one thing so the wall your wall on the inside is not going to prevent the sound from the outside penetrating it so the wall on the inside the laundry room needs to be either another layer of sheetrock some other form of sound absorption there are There are pads that can be put perhaps on the ceiling or acoustical tiles glued to the ceiling.
0: Those are some things right there. This is so wonderful. Jonathan, I can't believe that we're finished with the show. We have so much more to talk about. Do you think you'll come back and talk to me in the future? I'd love to come back again. I would love for you to. Thank so you much so very much. Thank you. We're done, folks. I want to thank everybody here at talkradio.nyc. Schoolhouse, number six productions. I couldn't do it without you, and I wouldn't want to try Benjamin Keegan for my wonderful music. And special thanks to my friends David and Fred for an inspiring weekend in Provincetown. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at home with DTI. And remember to take a look at my website, Interiors.com. That's I before E, Interiors.com. Stay tuned for the Noreen Sumter Show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way. And until next week on the radio, remember, the best designs for your life start at home.
3: We will gather around the re-